Okay, this morning, uh, we'll continue our study of Ecclesiastes. We'll look at chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, through chapter 4, verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 16, chapter 3. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. There was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he he who has not been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Uh, Koaleth, which is the, uh, the Hebrew term for preacher, Um, has described for us over these past few weeks uh, the meaning, I should say, his quest for meaning under the sun. His quest for the meaning of life uh, lived without God in view. That's what under the sun means. Naturalistic, humanistic perspective of life. And he's trekked down many roads trying to find fulfillment, living life under the sun. He, t- he began with the, the road of philosophy and his conclusion that man's wisdom is vanity. It's empty. It's meaningless. Uh, moving on as he did to self-indulgence, that is uh, the Epicurean form of hedonism, and uh, that is hedonism with some self-governing um, restraint. That is, he kept his wisdom intact. That's how he puts it. As opposed to the Serenian view of hedonism, which is to jump headlong um, into full-on debauchery. Uh, conclusion, although it may be fun, it's empty. Fun for the moment, in the end, There's no ultimate fulfillment. He moved on to materialism, uh, which could not provide satisfaction. For it, he says, is striving after wind, nothing to be gained there under the sun. So trying to find satisfaction in materialism led to emptiness. So he moved on to then compare uh, wise living with foolish living. He says maybe there's some satisfaction in comparing the two. And again, the result was, you know what? The wise and the fool, in the end, they they experience the same event. They both die. That, too, is also vanity. 
And then he considers um, skillful toil under the sun. That is, uh, the skills of man, that uh, no matter what you produce and all that you pour into in your life, in the end, it will ultimately be left to some fool who will squander it all. (laughs) So, you know, this again is surveying life from a humanistic, naturalistic perspective, not a theocentric worldview. That's, again, under the sun. So with that view, history has no meaning, you have no meaning, your life, your memory has no meaning whatsoever. It's just this vicious cycle that goes on and on and on. Lives are forgotten, works are forgotten. It's meaningless. And then, beginning in chapter 2, verse 24, through uh, chapter 3, up to where we are now, um, is a section that provides a response Uh, to the despair and pessimism of an under-the-sun worldview. And in chapter 2, verse 24, uh, is the view of life taken above the sun, that is, uh, uh, life under heaven, and we see a God-centered worldview there. We've looked at that the last couple weeks. And that is that our work and our lives are not in vain, but God actually provides satisfaction in our work. If you look at verse 24, this also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, um, is the outworking of the Lord's sovereign decree and will carried out providentially in time, where, where history is seen as his story. That's what history is. It is his story, which has meaning and has purpose. And that's why we read in verse 1 of chapter 3, for everything there is a season. And a time for every matter, here's that phrase, under heaven. Not under the sun, under heaven, under the sovereign rule and reign of the Creator Himself. Our sovereign Lord in heaven, who's created the universe, who's created mankind and time itself, has assigned meaning and purpose to all of it. So your meaning, your life this morning has meaning. Your life has purpose. Even though you can't always make sense of what time it is, You know, the events and seasons of our own lives, let alone events within this world, um, there's meaning to it all. Chapter 3, verse 14, we read, uh, Koalef says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. So God determines, that is to say, God determines the what, the when, and the why of everything that takes place. The, the times that he sets, they are irreversible. We cannot add to it. We cannot take away. We cannot rework the past, nor can we add to, take away, or alter the future. God is sovereign. So as, as God's providence unfolds, We looked at this last time, maybe two weeks ago. Um, As he unfolds his preordained plan, human beings, again, they are not pre-programmed robots. They are not. But instead, 
They are image bearers of God, redeemed or not. They are image bearers of God whose choices are real. They think, they act, and they react as God's sovereignty is in it and over it all as regards the outworking of history. So this is a place where we can take a breath and say, praise God. As difficult as life may be, sometimes we can say, praise the Lord. God has done it all so that we might, as we just read, might fear him. That we might stand in awe of his wisdom, his power, in and through it all. And then in verse 16, where we are this morning, begins a, a new literary unit with the topic changing with this phrase, moreover, I saw. So the pendulum now swings in the other direction as the, uh, the phrase under the sun reappears. And it in- introduces now another subject, and that is that in the place of justice, there's injustice. Verse 16, if you notice, the, the problem of injustice is stated. In verse 17, the answer for this problem is stated, verse 17. And then in verse 18, the problem of injustice reveals something of the nature of man. And that is, he's a beast. And then um, there's an interlude in verses 19 to 21 as the preacher considers man's beastly nature. Verse 22 is a return to the problem of injustice, showing us where the godly, the godly person's perspective lies in the midst of this prevalent problem. Okay, so that's what we're after this morning. And then chapter 4, verses 1 and 3, we won't even spend much time there. It speaks for itself. Uh, we're left with a gloomy assessment of the whole matter um, from an under-the-sun worldview. Okay? So that's, that's our outline for this morning. Verse 16, Moreover I saw, under the sun, then in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. So again, this is an observation under the sun. This is a worldview where men reject the living God and mere fallen men are left to appraise all things in this life. They're the appraisers. So in a world of of naturalism, in in a world of of uh, philosophical speculation, Um, What's observed in that world, that is a world that's rejected the one true God, refusing to acknowledge him as who he is. A man focuses his attention on wickedness that happens in this world, and verse 16 is what he sees. How many times do you hear when you witness to people, what about all the evil in the world, right? What about all the evil in the world, Christian? Man's evil. They need a redeemer. So, and that is that the autonomy of an under-the-sun worldview, it leads ultimately to injustice. Man's self-governing rule leads to injustice. It, it, It always will. It has to. When men ignore God's law, when they ignore his word, and they cast off the rule of God as sovereign, omnipotent creator, this is the outcome. And you're trapped with an under-the-sun worldview. You're trapped 
in a world of hopelessness. Now, this place, this place of judgment um, is referring to a, a particular location. It's just not a general statement. Um, this is where something's supposed to happen. This is a place where judgment is supposed to rule. And that is, in this context, the first part of that verse is the uh, civil magistrate. It's referring to the duties of the executive office, duties of the, of the seat of justice, the court of law. And then here in this illustration, we see that under the sun, there's rampant injustice. That is man's inhumanity to man. Fair to say we're members of an unjust race in this fallen world, right? So even the place of justice, Coaleth says, is unjust. It's unjust. So wickedness characterizes the place where justice is supposed to rule. So instead of doing justice, they're perverted men, they're wicked men, they're twisted men, as they you know, condemn the righteous and acquit the wicked. So as he looked, Coleth, the preacher, those who held offices were wicked, innocent people are convicted of crimes they never committed, and then the O.J. Simpsons of the world are... You know, they get away with murder. Isn't it something how the providence of God landed him in jail again? I mean, we all witnessed that. Not guilty. You remember the reaction of, uh, who are those girls on TV that have that show? The Kardashians. Their father was on the dream team. You remember when they said guilty? He looked like, you've got to be kidding me. He went, he almost passed out. You remember that? That's what we see here. Romans 13 tells us that all civil government is the ordinance of God worldwide. Worldwide. Okay, now he goes on and then he builds upon that thought here in the second part of verse 16. He says the same thing twice using synonymous parallelism here. He's emphasizing an egregious evil stating it twice. And notice, and in the place of righteousness, first the place of justice, now the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So again, this is also a specific place. The Old Testament word for righteousness is that which forms to a standard. That which forms to a standard. And in this context, it's the behavior that conforms to a standard of right and wrong, and that is God's standard. And even in the place where God's standard is supposed to rule, there's wickedness. Injustice. Iniquity. In the place of God's law was man's twisted, evil perceptions of right and wrong. They determine what's right and wrong. They think they trump God. Now, we see this in our day and culture, amen? That's obvious. But in Israel's day, the, the, the oppressive Sanhedrin would probably be in view. The religious leaders of the day. Oppressing the widow and the orphan. Those whose causes ought to be defended. Notice, for instance, in Isaiah 1, verse 21. 
now get these words now. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine is mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Now remember, Israel was instructed in Deuteronomy as regards the appointment of judges. And notice, chapter 16, verse 18. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God has given you, according to your tribes. And they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Notice this, verse 20. Justice and only justice. That is to say, pure justice or justice, justice. You shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So this principle of God's righteousness is what's to be pursued within the places of justice. It's very clear. This is determined by God's law. This is determined by God's standards. He's the judge of all the earth, amen? I don't care if it's Old Covenant Israel or not. He's the judge of the world. He's the judge of the universe, He judges nations, he blesses nations, and he curses nations. He always has. And he will continue to do so according to his own fixed standard. So that is to say the righteousness of God transcends theological dispensations, ages, and cultures. Transcends it all because he's the sovereign. Amen? Now, that standard, of course, doesn't exist in the minds of those living with an under-the-sun perspective. And, and that's the point that he's, that he's drawing out for us. You know, so, right? So well does the wise man say here, he saw this under the sun. Because there's not this kind of thing going on above the sun. By him who dwells above the sun king of the universe. So, you know, this under-the-sun view of law, you know where that began? The Garden of Eden. When Satan comes with the temptation, no, 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 when you eat of it, in that day you shall be like God. And you will be able to determine right and wrong for yourselves. It's always the same lie. And that's exactly what history reveals to us. That's the problem of injustice. Man determines what's right. Man determines what's wrong. Or what's right, what's wrong, what's lawful, what's not lawful. According according to his own fallen thinking. Look look at uh, Psalm 94. Verse 20. I think, do I have it up there? Okay, verse 20 and 21. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? 
they band together, notice this, against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. So the evil band together against the righteous, okay, that is the God-fearing, so as to condemn them. That's the picture being described in Ecclesiastes right there. You know, Christian uh, America, I should say, is, is quickly losing a Christian worldview. I mean, as a, na- as a nation. And they're gaining this, this under-the-sun view of life very rapidly. Notice now, as the problem of injustice has been stated, verse 17, the problem of injustice is answered. Verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. That is the God. The one true God, creator of heaven and earth, will judge. And here when he says, uh, I said in my heart, that means the seed of one's thinking. Right? That means I was thinking in my mind. I was meditating on this fact. And the answer to all this comes from our living, omnipotent God. In the end, he'll judge it all. Now look at Psalm 94, verse 22. But the Lord has become my stronghold, and my God, the rock of my refuge, he will bring back on them their iniquity. He will wipe out, and he will wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. He's just. Philip Ryken says, regarding this verse, he says, and I quote, Here we see the preacher applying an old sermon to his own heart. Isn't that great? What he's doing is he's taking the spiritual principles he just taught in chapter 3. There's a time for everything, and he's applying them to the matter of injustice. People who preach have to do this all the time. You have to remind you. How do, how do preachers get ministered to? They preach themselves strong with the same truth that's being heard. That's what he's doing. He's preaching himself strong. So if there's a time for everything, there must be a time for justice. So... Instead of remaining angry and sad at the injustices of life that surround us, being, you know, in all the oppression in the world, we can trust God to make things right in the end because He will. He will. Now, that doesn't mean there's never a time for us to pursue righteousness as far as, you know, justice goes to pursue justice in a place where there's injustice, because there are times for that. But the point is this. Even our best efforts cannot bring about an end to the injustices, injustices that are throughout this world. You'll never bring it to an end. See, our confidence does not lie in the justice system. Amen? Our, our confidence lies in the chief justice of the universe. Look at Acts 17, verse 30. God commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man 
whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There's only one that qualifies. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ. He, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says, will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Be no hiding. When that day comes, every purpose, every counsel, every thought of man's heart will be made manifest as well as every work, be it good, bad, open, secret, every idle word will be judged accordingly. Vengeance is mine, he says, I will repay. And when justice seems a long time coming, do you ever sit back? I'm a news watcher, so it would be easy to become very discouraged watching the news for an hour or so a day. Amen to that? <laughs> you can either sit and wallow in it or entrust yourself to the confident fact that he will judge all of it. So when justice seems a long time coming, because sometimes when I watch, I say, why doesn't he just wipe them out? I say it all the time to myself. I'm like, why? Lord, why don't you just... Slaughter them all. (laughs) And then I'm quickly reminded and thankful that he didn't slaughter me before he gave me life to believe. So there you have it. Anyway, we can rest in Habakkuk 2 verse 3 that says, If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In other words, when it's time, it'll be time. No delay. When it's time. Now, this problem of injustice, he goes on to explain, um, has something to do with the nature of man. Verse 18, I said in my heart, here he is thinking again, he's meditating, he's a deep thinker, uh, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. That is to say, our, our, our present existence, it's a proving ground, really, when it's all said and done. It's a proving ground. It's a test that demonstrates mankind's true character. That's why we need a new nature in Christ. For out, without which we just remain fallen, unregenerate beasts. <laughs> so he meditates on the problem of injustice, why God allows it, and it's so that God might reveal the true nature of man because left to themselves, injustice screams beasts. They're all beasts. Wicked. They're beasts. Man are, you know, not little angels. How many times do you hear that? You're the angel of my life. Yeah, fallen maybe. Right? <laughs> They're not little deities. We're all little gods. No. We're like animals that roam the field, left to ourselves. And that's the comparison he makes. And you know, one of the, one of the reasons God allows for injustices is to teach men this truth. That no, you're not basically good. You remember that? Man is basically good. 
I had to write a paper on that. I didn't know what I was doing. Basically good. Think about genocide. Think about infanticide. You think about all of the slaughtered babies in our day. Torture camps, fraud, calling death to police, marching around like a bunch of maniac lunatics, death to cops. That's wickedness. And so it teaches us otherwise, doesn't it? Man is not basically good. So this leads the preacher in verses 19 to 21 as he considers man's beastly nature to actually compare man with beasts. Verse 19, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Now, these are the verses, by the way, that make some people think that the writer of, of Ecclesiastes was an unbelieving skeptic. And that's not the case if you read it correctly. And they mostly accredit uh, this to verse 21 where he says, Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth, which basically means extinction. But what he's saying here accords to the whole point that he's trying to make, which is the exact opposite of skeptical unbelief. He's not asking as though he's some agnostic. He knows the answer. Okay? Koalath knows the answer. And, and what he's asking is this. Who, if, who even gives a thought to this question? And who in the world can provide an answer? As evil as man is, where there's injustices, who, who can provide a man? You know, in other words, if a man and his dog get lost in the woods, okay, they're breathing the same air. And if they both die out there, they're both going to disintegrate back into the dust. This, of course, is a reflection on Genesis 3 and the curse. So he's pointing out man's failure, in other words, to rightly contemplate the matter at hand. Injustice in the world and comparing man with beasts. So in context here, it seems that an under-the-sun view sees death as extinction just like the beasts of the world. And the truth of the matter is, though, when men die, their soul survives death unlike the beasts of the world, of the earth, because their spirit goes upward for what, for what purpose? To stand before their creator and give an account, unlike beasts. Man dies like a beast, but he rises unlike a beast, and he stands before his creator. So if we have time for questions today, don't ask me if dogs go to heaven. <laughs> don't ask me if a little rover that you had as a kid will be there. <laughs> According to this, they go back to the dust. However, when God created the world, he created it with animals. So you might see you know, your little resurrected rover up there. I don't know. We just go by what the text says. So although we die like animals, men will be judged unlike animals. 
That's the point. That's the point. Now, think about this. The naturalistic, evolutionary worldview, you know what that is? It's an attempt to comfort man, thinking himself to go extinct when he dies, so as not to have to stand and give an account before a creator. That's the comfort they're seeking. It's not scientific. It's foolish nonsense. This is what they're trying to escape. Because it tells them they have no soul. So in the end, they they have no one to give an account to. So we die like animals because of sin. Our time on earth, very short. And that's because we've wandered from God. We're in desperate need, desperate need to be redeemed by God. That's the gospel. And none of this, evil in the world, none of this trying to examine the world, none of this provides the answers. We, we cannot come up with any answer as regards life after death by mere reason and experience in this life. What does it take? You've all been given it. What does it take? Divine revelation is what it takes. You will not figure this out on your own. It takes divine revelation of the one true God by way of his word. The fact that you sit here this morning, you believe this. The word of the living God. Divine revelation has opened your eyes to see. It's lifted the veil of blindness for you to truly see and believe. You once were darkness. Ephesians tells us, you were darkness. Now in Christ, as we'll see this morning, you're the light of the world. Divine, special revelation. General revelation is not enough to do it. Romans 1, we're told that general revelation, the heavens declare the glory of God. Men take that and they suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness, so therefore you have to be recreated to believe it. Divine revelation, that's what you've been given by the grace of God in Christ. This cannot be seen with the blind eye. That is the spiritually blind eye. You cannot figure this out, or you will be an idiot who will come up with a theory of evolution, and you'll buy into it. Lest the God of the universe opens your eyes to see. Amen? See, pride makes us want to be gods. Humility accepts the truth that you're not. And you're in desperate need of what only he can provide. And it's grace to believe. That's it. I didn't mean to preach in Sunday school. (laughs) Okay, so now the preacher returns to the problem of injustice. Where we're shown now the godly person's perspective. Okay, those who've been given light to see, this is now their perspective when it comes to this prevalent problem of injustice. So, verse 22, I saw that there's nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? In other words, you and I cannot undo the problem of injustice on our own. We cannot untie the knot to the injustices of of this world. So knowing this, we can do the work that God has given us to do. Okay? 
If you're a father here today, your work is to be a, a godly father. If you're a husband today, your job is to be a godly father and husband. A good worker. Top-notch. A rightful representative of God. It's mean to be a good sibling, to be a good citizen. That's your work. Enjoy it. That's what he's saying. Enjoy your work. Enjoy the toil of your hands. You're a member of the local church of Jesus Christ, Pacific Hope Church, and you're called to be a good member. Not, a, not giving, as we'll learn this morning, not sloppy worship, not, not leftovers to our God. This is what we're called to do. Rejoice in his work. This is your lot. That's the answer. For rest. In other words, take satisfaction in what God has given you to do, and that itself is a righteous contribution to the world where he's placed you in time. Therefore, there's a time for everything. There's meaning and purpose in your life at all times throughout your life. So, verse 22, we accept our work every day from God. We can rejoice in what he's called us to do. Because I can be certain that God will judge all these injustices. I can rest in the fact, as hard as it is, as I witness things, let alone experience it through a loved one, which is the hardest. And I pray that I never have to. But there's no guarantee that I'll never have to experience or watch injustice occur to my own children or loved ones or whoever. So we are for and we're not against ridding the world of injustice. Amen. Don't mishear me. Don't, don't, don't not hear me correctly this morning. But the, what we're able to do, in other words, Coalesce says, is minimal. It's minimal. So whatever God has given you to do, do it with all your might. That's his point. So, may we not exchange the portion God has given to us to be able to do, because he empowers us to do it and he's gifted us to do it, and exchange it for something that we, we have no power to overcome. There are times when we have to do it and we have to make a stand, but we're limited. Amen? Amen? Now, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we're actually left with a grim assessment of this whole matter. And that is, again, from an under-the-sun worldview. And that is, you're better off dead. From an under-the-sun view, in the midst of a world of injustice, he says, if that's your only view, then you're better off dead. Notice, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. They had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors was power. There was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So living with a naturalistic, humanistic under the sun view, actually envies the dead or those who've never seen the light of day. 
You remember what Job said in the midst of his trouble? It had been better for me never to have been born. It would have been better that the knees never received me, that I had been stillborn, for then, he says, I would be in perfect peace. Which is a great sign for me, scripturally, that when babies die, they go to heaven. Because where else is the perfect place of peace than the presence of God? It would have been better, Lord, had the knees never received me. Then not only would I not only see the evils of the world, but I wouldn't have to experience them, as Job certainly did. Amen? But we see things not from an under-the-sun perspective. Amen? We see things by the grace of God above the sun, from above the sun, that is under heaven, where God rules and reigns and is sovereign. So we can rest in Psalm 49.15, for instance, that says, God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, the place of death, for he will receive me. And that's, that certainly is a promise for all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who, 2 Timothy 1.10 tells us, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is our hope. He's our hope. Oh, beloved, the futility of life without Christ. The futility of life without Christ. Jesus said this, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And what's the, what, what was the conclusion of Koalath? as far as a a meaning and a time for everything under heaven? The awe of God. The awe of God. Therefore, Proverbs 9.10, fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We have insight to all this, beloved, because we're not hopeless. We have faith and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ who conquered sin and death. Amen? Hopefully that doesn't leave you. Hopefully you're left this morning with the brightness of that reality and not the gloom of injustice throughout the world. Because without Christ, there really is no hope. So we can take a breath, we can rest, continue to pray, and know that there's a day of reckoning coming. And you won't be judged for one sin because Christ bore punishment for your sin and has cloaked you in a robes of what? Righteousness.